Good evening and welcome to our Bible study. We've had a rather long break with Christmas, New Year's, and we've just completed our 21-day fast. So this is the beginning of a new series that I'm quite excited about. And I have to tell you, during this time of fasting and prayer, the Lord really revived me in His Word. And at the beginning of this new year I started reading from the book of Genesis and I'm going right through Genesis and Exodus and I really got inspired with the study that we're going to begin tonight Um, I'm titling this entire series out of bondage into abundance and if you are following along online you can access the notes the outlines and the recordings for all of these studies beginning with tonight's and our website is new-life-ministries.org and again the title of this study is Out of Bondage into Abundance there is a theme that is very prevalent throughout the scriptures It's such an important and powerful story that we really need to take a good bit of time to look at it, to study it, and to ask the Holy Spirit what is the meaning of this whole story for us now as Christians, as believers in Christ. And I'm of course referring to the amazing story of God's people Israel their deliverance out of Egypt and the slavery that they were in in Egypt and his taking them from Egypt all the way into a very special land we usually refer to it as the promised land or the land of Canaan and that whole storyline of Israel coming out of Egypt and going into the promised land there are many many chapters whole books actually of the Old Testament devoted to that story and you find that story interwoven throughout the entire Bible both Old and New Testament and what we want to look at is not just to get a history lesson but hopefully tonight as we introduce this whole study uh, I think you'll be able to see that God intended for this whole story it's a true story it's it's history but he intended for this to be a graphic picture for you and for me of our New Testament salvation and with the help of the Holy Spirit I think you'll begin to get a clearer and clearer picture of the whole journey that God wants to take us on beginning with him delivering us out of sin out of bondage and out of darkness and taking us into an abundant life in Christ and ultimately taking us into heaven into our heavenly inheritance and as we begin to introduce this theme tonight it's important from the start to realize that the Bible reveals that God had a twofold purpose for his people and it's very simple he brought them out to take them in and that may sound too simple and of course there's a lot more to it but we need to get this picture there are two parts of the story there's coming out and there's going in and we're going to find the exact same twofold purpose applies to you and to me God wants to bring us out of something that's only half of the story he wants to take us in to something else and sadly many Christians they stop with just the first part they come out of sin and they're very happy 
that Jesus has delivered them from alcohol or drug addiction or some other kind of bondage and now they're praising God because he brought them out of sin well rightfully so that's something to give a great deal of praise for but the New Testament makes it very clear God brought us out of sin because he wants to take us somewhere he wants to bring us into a whole different life so tonight we're just going to scratch the surface and try to introduce this whole study and hopefully I can give you sort of an outline of what we want to be looking at in coming weeks let's start with Israel in Egypt and as you come to the closing chapters of Genesis uh, there's the amazing story of how Joseph was sold by his brothers went down into Egypt it was no accident this was all a part of God's grand plan and you remember the story of how Joseph's brothers finally come down to Egypt they're reunited with Joseph eventually Joseph brings his father and his entire family down to Egypt to take care of them during the terrible famine that he had predicted would happen and of course they'd get through that famine and Jacob Joseph's father and his sons they begin to multiply greatly in Egypt and they become a very powerful people there in Egypt but uh, with the passage of time and the death of one of the kings of Egypt and a new Pharaoh replacing him the attitude and the sentiments toward Israel changes and they begin to represent a threat to Egypt and so the Egyptians begin to oppress them and actually bring them into bondage into slavery the scriptures reveal that for 400 long years Israel was in bondage in slavery there in Egypt and even that was predicted way back in the early chapters of Genesis God revealed that to Abraham that his descendants would be in a foreign land they would be in in prison or in slavery there and that God would eventually bring them out and of course we come to the book of Exodus Exodus means coming out and so it is the account of this first part of the story how God brought them out of Egypt to take them in to the promised land and we'll begin in Exodus 3 at the burning bush when God meets with Moses and reveals his purpose and his plan both for Moses and for the children of Israel let's pick it up in Exodus 3 verses 7 and 8 and generally speaking I will be using the NIV New International Version sometimes we will look at other translations and hopefully I will remember to indicate that we're using a different translation Exodus 3 verses 7 and 8 the Lord said and this is of course God speaking to Moses through the burning bush I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites Hittites Amorites Perizzites Hivites and Jebusites really we see this 
twofold plan summarized in one statement here to bring them up out of that land the land of slavery into a good and spacious land a land flowing with milk and honey and I went through the Old Testament and just tried to make a list of terms that are found in the scripture to describe Israel's experience in Egypt. It's quite interesting. Just listen to this list of terms. A few of them come from the verse we've just read. Misery, suffering, uh, but here's the, the list. Oppression, misery, groaning, suffering, affliction, discouragement, cruel bondage, bitter forced labor, toil, mistreated, iron smelting furnace, aliens, diseases, reproach, idols, darkness. Um, I think you can see that whenever this whole picture of Israel in Egypt is mentioned in the Bible, it has a very dark, negative connotation. It was an experience they needed God to supernaturally deliver them from. And many, many times it talks about how God's strong arm rescued or delivered them out of Egypt. So, Egypt is known primarily as the land of slavery. It was a place of bondage. And thus, the first part of the title of our Bible study, Out of Bondage into Abundance. Not only did God hear their groaning and respond by saying, I have come down to rescue them, but he now reveals he wants to take them somewhere else. He could have just brought them out of Egypt and then left them in the desert. At least they got out of slavery. But God's twofold purpose was to transfer them from this place of darkness, bitterness, bondage, and oppression to a place of abundance, a land flowing with milk and honey. And I'll read another passage where you see this same picture in Deuteronomy 6, verses 20 to 23. Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 23. God is speaking here. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent miraculous signs and wonders, great and terrible, upon Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. And listen carefully to verse 23. And he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. Now let's pause here for a minute. They were never to forget this whole story of coming out of Egypt and going in to the promised land. They were to tell this to their sons and their daughters, to their grandsons, their granddaughters, their grandsons were to tell this to their grandsons, and this was to be an event that was commemorated down through the generations. We were slaves in Egypt. God brought us out with a mighty hand, 
in order to bring us in and give us the land that he promised on oath to our forefathers. And we don't have time now to go into the details, but this goes all the way back to Abraham. Many promises that God gave to Abraham were passed down from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and to Jacob or Israel's descendants. And one of those promises, sworn with an oath, was that God was going to take them into this very special land called Canaan, a land rich, abundant, and the metaphor is often used to show this richness and abundant provision that was going to be there from God, flowing with milk and honey, just flowing with everything that man would need for his sustenance and care. So, here again, remember that we were slaves in Egypt. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This was no small thing, bringing him out of Egypt. It took the power of God. It took signs and wonders, miracles, great and terrible. And then it says... He brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land. Not just to take us there and to be tenants or to live there temporarily, but this was to be their inheritance. They were to possess this new land where God promised with an oath that he was going to take them. Now, in coming weeks we're going to dissect this and look at it more carefully. And we're going to see that there were three important steps or three important aspects or phases to Israel's complete deliverance from Egypt. And let me list them. The first was the celebration of the Passover. The second was crossing the Red Sea. And the third one was coming to Mount Sinai. Those are three very important steps or experiences that we're going to look at in some detail. So you want to start to kind of get that picture in your mind. We're coming out of Egypt, first through the Passover, then crossing through the Red Sea, and then finally coming to Mount Sinai. Um, And I'm sure I'm going to be repeating this a lot, but let me just start right here by saying, those three experiences didn't take them into the Promised Land. It just got them out of Egypt and got them prepared for their journey into that promised land. So we're going to study the meaning of the Passover, the Red Sea experience, and Mount Sinai as three preparatory experiences that you and I need not to enter in, but to prepare us to enter in. Some Christians believe because they've been saved, water baptized, and receive the Holy Spirit, and I'm getting ahead of ourselves, but that's what these three experiences represent for us as New Testament believers. They think, hallelujah, I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, I've taken water baptism, and God filled me with the Holy Spirit. I've arrived. No, you haven't arrived, you've started. That's the beginning of the journey. That's just completing the Exodus part. Now we have to understand where he wants to take us. He brought us out to take us in. And of course, the second part of Israel's story, God was taking them into the promised land of Canaan. And I want to read a number of passages 
from Exodus and Deuteronomy where God gives them detailed descriptions of this land long before they enter it. He wanted them to know where he was taking them even before they had stepped foot into that land. And reading again the portion we just finished a while ago, right there at the burning bush, God starts to reveal to Moses the kind of place he wanted to take Israel. Canaan was a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Remember those words, a good and spacious land flowing with milk and honey. Let me read Exodus 3.8 again. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And just a little side note that you can tuck away for future reference. When we get much further along, we're going to look at the whole story of how 12 spies were sent into the land of Canaan to sort of check it out, find out what kind of a land it really was, whether it's a good land or a bad land. Well, they already knew what kind of a land it was. God told Moses all the way back at the burning bush, it's not a bad land, it's a good land. It's a spacious land, and it flows with milk and honey. And as we saw in a previous verse also, God repeatedly assures them he's taking Israel now to be his own people. This is where we start to see this expression, my people. These are now God's people. And he's taking Israel to be his special people in order that they might possess the land that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's turn to Exodus 6 and read verses 5 to 8. Exodus 6, 5 to 8. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. You see, God was not just acting on a whim here. He's made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. God doesn't forget his covenants. He doesn't forget his promises. He doesn't forget his word. I have remembered my covenant. Verse 6, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. There's the bringing out part, and next verse is the bringing in. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Just another side note. If you look at a world map, it's hard even to find Israel. It's such a tiny little piece of real estate. I think it's about the size of the state of Connecticut in the U.S. And yet, almost daily, that little piece of real estate 
is in the news. And there are millions and millions of people round about Israel that want that land. And really, when you stop and think about it, there's so much land on planet Earth, why are so many people interested in this little piece of real estate? Why have so many wars been fought over that piece of land? I think it's a loud testament to the fact that this is a special land dating all the way back to Abraham. Why is it special? Because God made it special. He actually refers to it as the Holy Land. We, we use that term kind of loosely when we're referring to Israel. God's the first one that called it Holy Land. It's holy because He set it apart. He actually drew out the boundaries of that promised land way back in Genesis 15 when He revealed it to Abraham. And this is about covenant. This is about God's purpose and promise. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And you know, we hear about all these land deals, giving up land for so-called peace, and you'll notice it never works because God never intended for Israel to give back any of that land to her enemies. It belongs to Israel, and it always will. Now, on to a couple of other very interesting passages, which we will be looking at again later on in this study in much more detail, to try to see how this speaks to us as Christians now under the New Covenant. The promised land, God repeatedly gives them lengthy descriptions about what a wonderful place it was. Long before they went there, God wanted them to know He was taking them to a place of abundance, a place of amazing provision. And we'll read uh, three different portions from the book of Deuteronomy where God himself is giving them a detailed description of what this land is like long before they went there. They had no other way of knowing this. God revealed it to them through his word long before they saw it with their own eyes. First one is found in Deuteronomy 6 verses 10 to 12. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers. He hasn't done it yet. They're not there yet. But when he does bring you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide wells you did not dig and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant then when you eat and are satisfied be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. Now, it would have been an amazing thing if God simply brought them out of slavery and took them anywhere. Praise God, we're free. We're out of slavery. It would have been even more amazing if He had delivered them from their slavery, taken them to a fertile land, and then said, okay, now build houses plant vineyards, plant your crops, and start to live off the land. That would have been pretty amazing. But this is even more amazing. The land you're going into, when you get there, it will already have flourishing cities that you did not build. You won't have to build cities. They'll already be there for you. 
You won't have to build your houses. Houses will already be built. You won't have to furnish the houses. They will already be filled with all kinds of good things, and for emphasis, you did not provide. You won't have to dig any wells. Wells will already be dug for you. You won't have to plant any vineyards or olive groves. They will already be planted. You just walk in and start plucking the grapes and the olives and enjoy the fruits of the land. This is an amazing picture of God's grace. And we're going to study this more when we look at our experience as believers. But just suffice it to say, the New Testament makes it very clear we are not saved by works. We're saved by grace. This is a very clear picture of that. You're not going to do any work. Everything will be done for you. Cities, houses already built, already provided with every good thing. You're not going to be digging any wells. You're not going to be planting any gardens. Everything has already been graciously provided for you. This was the kind of language God was beginning to speak to the Israelites because he knew after 400 years they had this mindset of a slave. And he's now wanting to transform their minds. He's changing the way they think. I'm coming out of bondage, but this is where God is taking me. A place of grace, a place of provision, a place of rest, where everything is already done for me and provided for me. An abundant, flourishing place. Large, flourishing cities. Houses filled with all kinds of good things. Notice the repetition of words like good, spacious, flourishing. These are the words that always refer to the Canaan experience. Look also in Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, verses 7 to 10. It was a well-watered land. Just fruitful, rich land. Starting at verse 7. Deuteronomy 8, verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into, and here's the word again, a good land. A land with streams and pools of water, with springs flowing in the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing, a land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Here again we see words like good, flowing, lacking nothing, satisfied. Just a place where every need was going to be met by God. What a contrast to their life in Egypt, where no doubt they often went without proper nutrition. They didn't have proper water. They were beaten and, and driven with hard labor. God says, none of that now. This is going to be a land like a paradise, flowing with streams, pools of water everywhere, springs flowing in the valleys and hills, wheat, barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, honey, bread will never be scarce, you will lack nothing. And there would even be rich uh, resources in the earth, 
The rocks are iron. You can dig copper out of the hills. Just an amazing place God was providing for them. And then one last passage from Deuteronomy in chapter 11. And I always like this passage because depending on your translation, basically here what God is telling them, I'm taking you to a place that's going to be like heaven on earth. Like heaven on earth. And this place is very, very different from Egypt. And I want you to notice how in all of these passages, God is already showing them in their minds, this is going to be a totally different experience from what you were used to in Egypt. You need to reprogram your mind because I'm taking you to a new land, a new experience, and it's not going to be anything life, anything like life that you knew in Egypt. Deuteronomy 11, verses 8, and we'll read all the way down to verse 15. Observe, therefore, all the commands I am giving you today, so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Now, let me just pause here. There's a powerful concept here that we will visit later on in this study when we actually talk about how to possess the land. But let me just point out, since we're here, God is telling them the strength you need to take this land, to actually possess it, has nothing to do with vitamins, minerals, physical strength. It depends on your obedience. There's a strength that comes from obedience. Observe all the commands I am giving you so that you may have the strength to go in and take over the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. And sadly, we will also see that by and large, they failed. They never did enter into that land because of disobedience. Verse 9, so that you may live long, note those words, to live long in the land that the Lord swore to your forefathers to give to them and their descendants, a land flowing with milk and honey. So here we learn something else about Canaan. Not only was it rich, fruitful, flowing in abundance, you're going to live long there. Life in Canaan represents long life. Verse 10, The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt. Notice that. God wants them to understand they have to now get used to a whole different lifestyle. This place is not going to be like what many of you have known all of your life long. The land you are entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. Where you planted your seed and irrigated it by foot, as in a vegetable garden. They had to work hard for everything in Egypt. They had to plant their seed, they had to cultivate the ground, they even had to irrigate it by foot. And I don't know if you've seen pictures <clears throat> of these water wheels that they would have operated by pumping them with something like the pedals on a bicycle. They had to sit there in the hot sun and by pumping their feet they would bring up water from the Nile and use that to irrigate their crops. God says, it's not going to be like that in Canaan. Verse 11, The land you are crossing the Jordan to take possession of is a land of mountains and valleys, note these words, that drinks rain from heaven. 
drinks rain from heaven. This was to be an experience totally unlike what they had had in Egypt. This was to be a heavenly kind of an experience. Drinking rain from heaven. Verse 12, It is a land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. Not only are you going to a special land, God is going to be watching over this land. His eyes are on it continually throughout the year. Verse 13. So, if you faithfully, <coughs> excuse me, if you faithfully obey the commands I am giving you today to love the Lord your God, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains, so that you may gather in your grain new wine and oil. I will provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and you will eat and be satisfied. One other very important thing. God was taking them into this land, a land like heaven on earth, drinking rain from heaven. God's eyes are upon it. The Lord your God caring for it. But, remember, God brought them out to be his people. And the one thing he does want them to do now in this new land is to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. We're going to come back to this more when we look at the reasons why God wanted to to deliver them out of Egypt. One of the primary reasons was they must be set free so that they can serve me. Set them free so they may serve me. Now, in this same chapter, Deuteronomy 11, we drop down to verse 21. And God finishes this discussion by saying, So that your days and the days of your children may be many. Remember, this was a place of long life. So that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So Canaan is not only a picture of provision, of grace, of rest. It's actually a picture of eternal life. Long life for them, but we'll see it's a picture of God wanting us to inherit eternal life. You actually find that expression in the New Testament, to inherit eternal life. Now, this picture of Israel coming out of Egypt, going into the promised land. In their case, it took 40 long years for that process to be completed. It didn't need to take that long, and we'll talk more about that later, but the whole story is an amazing (coughs) an amazing story in itself. But God uses this as a picture for you and for me, as he often does. All of the Old Testament stories are there for a reason, and many of them are graphic illustrations of spiritual truths. These are called shadows. They're called types. And we are now experiencing not shadows, but the realities. These were just sort of foretastes of the real thing that God would be bringing centuries later through his son, Jesus Christ. The story really did happen. This is not 
some myth or fable. There really was an Egypt. There really was a people, Israel, in that land for 400 years as slaves. And God really did bring them all out in one single night through the blood of the Passover lamb. But we find passages like the next one in the New Testament pointing back to these Old Testament stories telling us who are now Christians these stories are there for us to read and to study because they are examples for us. A very important passage that points to this very segment of Israel's history, their whole exodus coming out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, and coming to Mount Sinai, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 10 from verse 1 to 11. And here, Paul explains to the Corinthians that the entire account of Israel's exodus from Egypt is a picture or an example, is the word he uses, for us. From verse 1, 1 Corinthians 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes, and do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. Pay close attention now to verse 11. These things happened to them, the Israelites, as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, two times in this passage, Paul uses the word example. These stories in the Old Testament, they're not just nice history lessons, interesting stories to read. There's a, there's a message for you and for me. It, it's a picture. It's an example. And let me show you just how far Paul goes in this application of the Old Testament story to New Testament Christians like the Corinthian believers. Paul uses the word baptized to refer to Israel's experience in the Red Sea. You'll never find that word in Exodus. It doesn't say they were baptized in the Red Sea. They crossed through it. But Paul, writing under the unction of the Holy Spirit, he saw very clearly Israel crossing through the Red Sea is a clear picture of New Testament water baptism. Furthermore, their being 
under the cloud of God's glory in the Old Testament, Paul uses again the word baptism. They were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. Two different baptisms. Baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. We will see in the New Testament there are two different baptisms mentioned. Baptism in water, baptism in the Holy Spirit. Paul sees both of those here and he refers even to Israel's experiences as baptisms. They were baptized in the cloud. They were baptized in the sea. And then following along in that same vein, he remembers how they all ate the same spiritual food. Well, doesn't call it spiritual food in Exodus. It's called manna. But Paul realizes that manna that the Israelites gathered every morning from the desert floor is a picture of spiritual food that you and I now eat. And the most interesting one of all is verse 4. They drank the same spiritual drink. Well, if you read the story in Exodus, Moses smote a rock and water flowed out. And they drank the water. It was just plain old water, H2O. But now, Paul refers to it as spiritual drink. And then he makes a quantum leap from that rock and that literal physical water that they drank in the wilderness to what it truly represents. What does he say? They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Whoa! Where did he get that from? You won't find it in Exodus. That was a revelation given to Paul by the Holy Spirit, and it may even possibly be one of the things Jesus taught his disciples in Luke chapter 24 after his resurrection it says beginning at Moses and the Psalms and the prophets Jesus showed them many things concerning himself so he may very well have taken them through this whole story in Exodus and said see that rock there that they drank from That's me. That's a picture of me. I was there with them, giving them that drink. And I will be your spiritual rock, and I have living water that I want you to drink now. I have spiritual food that I want to give to you now. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, This is by no means a wild stretch that we are using in this Bible study to connect Israel's story, coming out of bondage, going into the land of Canaan, a place of abundance, to our experience as New Testament Testament believers, coming out of the bondage of sin and going into an abundant life, a heavenly inheritance in Jesus Christ. So these three experiences, these three steps that we're going to be studying in the next few weeks, the Passover, the Red Sea, and Mount Sinai, these correspond directly to three distinct New Testament experiences that Jesus and the Apostles wrote about. In John 3, verses 3 to 5, we're not going to read it, but I think it's familiar to most of us, Jesus refers to three distinct 
separate experiences. If you study those verses carefully, John 3, 3 through 5, Jesus talks about being born again, born of water, and born of the Spirit. Three separate births, if you will. A birth signifies the beginning or the initiation of a new life. So each one of these is a new beginning. Born again, born of water, born of the Holy Spirit. And we will be studying how the Passover is a clear picture of our born-again experience coming out of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. We will study Israel being baptized in the Red Sea as a picture of our water baptism. That's when we are born of water. It's an experience. It's the beginning of a new life. And then thirdly, they're coming to Mount Sinai where Moses received the law and there was fire and lightning and thundering and glory on the mountain and God came down to speak to them. It represents the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is what Jesus referred to as being born of the Spirit. So, next week we're going to dig deeper, and we're going to look in more detail at the first of these three experiences. And this is, a <clears throat> this is an amazing Bible study, looking at the Passover. If you've never really studied this in detail, I promise you, you're going to get blessed. Not just learning the history of what Israel went through, but understanding much more deeply your salvation, this amazing and great salvation that God planned out for us through His own Son, Jesus Christ. So, we're going to stop here, and I'll probably do this again next time, but let me give you sort of an outline of where I want to go in this entire Bible study. I'm breaking it down into seven parts. Part one, which is what we're starting tonight and will probably complete next session, is the introduction. Part two, we'll be studying the Passover. Part three, we'll be studying the Red Sea experience. Part four, we will study coming to Mount Sinai. And remember, that's not the end. That's just the beginning. Part 5, we'll, we'll study Israel's journey through the wilderness. Part 6, and we haven't talked too much about this yet, but Part 6, we'll talk about conquering seven nations. God told them ahead of time there were seven nations occupying Canaan. They had to go in and conquer them, and drive them out. So part six will be conquering the seven nations, and then finally, part seven, possessing the land. That's where we want to come. We want to come into the land of abundance. We want to possess everything that God has promised for us. So we will conclude there and pick this up at the same place next time. Let us close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your amazing word. You're an amazing God. And the plan of salvation is beyond our comprehension. Lord, before the beginning of time, you had this all planned out. And even when Joseph went down into Egypt, betrayed by his brothers, and his reunion with his brothers, and then Israel going down into Egypt, and finally becoming slaves there for 400 years. All this you not only knew about, but it was your purpose. And you ultimately desired to bring them out of bondage by your mighty hand, 
and to take them in to a promised land. Likewise, you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have a purpose and a plan for each and every one of us. You want to deliver us from the slavery of sin and bring us into the glorious liberty of the sons of God. And Lord, you've planned certain steps, certain experiences for us to go through, just as Israel had to pass through different experiences to arrive at that promised land. God, I am praying that as we proceed with this Bible study, you will open the eyes of our understanding, help us to know Christ better, to understand our salvation more deeply and more completely, that we might praise you more and more for your amazing grace. God, bless each and every one participating with us tonight, those that may be joining in later on through the internet or through recordings. Bless them and give them a deep understanding of your wonderful, marvelous plan of salvation. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.